Hi, and welcome to Among the Books, a podcast for kids, by kids, and yes, adults too. My name is Anthony, and welcome to episode 11, where we are sitting down with the award-winning author of the Mr. Lemoncello series, Chris Grabenstein. His signature style of mystery mixed with humor makes his books both relatable and fun. And in his new book, Shine, he states how important it is to believe in yourself. So please join the gang as we talk with Chris and have some laughs. Take it away, gang. Excellent. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Grabenstein. We're very pleased to have you here today to talk to. Thank you for inviting me, and thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> yeah. All right, so who guys, who wants to go first? All right, come on, Annabelle. All right. For the main character that you've created, does it, like, kind of connect to your life? Sure, Kyle Keeley, who's the main character of Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library, as you might have noticed, has two big brothers. Guess who had two big brothers? Me. I grew up in a house. My mom actually had five boys in seven years. And my brothers, I don't know if any of you guys have older brothers or sisters, but you're always kind of living in their shadow. And my brother, Jeff, is a genius. So the character Curtis in the Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library is based on Curtis. And I only he would go to school, and I'd have his same teachers that he had the year before, and the teachers would go, oh, I hope you're as smart as Jeff was last year. Jeff was so smart. <laughs> and I, uh, so the only time I could beat my big brothers was when we played board games, and we used to play a lot of those. So that's where Kyle Keeley's love of board games and the fact that he can beat his brothers at something when he plays his games comes from. So yes, a lot of what we writers do, we take little snippets of our life and then put them through a filter and fictionalize them. Okay, fantastic. What inspired you to write this book? Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's library was inspired by a couple things. One, when I was your guy's age, the library and librarians were scary people. You would walk into a library and a librarian go, shh, be quiet, you'll wake up the books, or get your sticky fingers off the books, you children. So I was like, I don't want to go to the library. But then when my first books for kids came out, uh, The Haunted Mysteries, I started doing a lot of school visits, and my day would typically start in the school library, and I met all these librarians librarians who made the library fun and kids would come in and say oh i like that rick riordan book you gave me oh if you like that one here's two more and i wondered where librarians like that were when i was growing up so i wanted to do a story that celebrated this new kind of library and librarian that made learning fun and one day i was on another school visit to ps10 in brooklyn new york which looks like all the schools in brooklyn but they had a brand new library and I asked the librarian, how'd you guys get this brand new library? And she said, a very wealthy millionaire donated it to us. So my little brain went, aha, what if a very generous bazillionaire donated a library to the town where he grew up? And you'll find that's where most stories start, with some little seed, some little what if. You kind of go, hmm, 
what if this happened? And then you follow it to make the story. Nice. Uh, guys, let me ask you a question. Am I a scary librarian? No. Okay, I mean, sometimes. good. Uh, sometimes, okay, I'll take that. Uh, not uh, like I used to have. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who wants to go now? Come on, Emily. Um, what was Sierra like, um, the shy girl that was always reading a book? What was she like before her parents' divorce? I think she was probably always shy and probably because I know a lot of kids from divorced families, sometimes they think they were the ones to blame. So she's probably retreated into herself and her books to escape all that. That's a good question. You know, Sierra Russell was named after a real kid who uh, entered a contest on my website. And that was the prize. You got your name in the book. So now her name is in, I think there's, 1,200,000 copies of Escape from Mr. Limoncello's Library in America, and it's been translated into 22 different languages. So enter contest on my website is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. How did you feel after you won your first award? Well, I won my very first award for writing when I was in fifth grade. And I was 10 years old, and I won an essay writing contest that the local Lions Club sponsored, and my mother made cream puffs. So that, that was exciting. My mother always made cream puffs whenever we got anything cool at school. And my first writing award, I think, you know, I got for my very first book, which is behind me right over there under the Mr. Potato Man, that my very first book ever published was a murder mystery for adults called tilt world that takes place down on the Jersey Shore, and it won an award as the best first mystery. So that was good because, you know, it took like five years to get anything published. I just kept getting rejected and writing all these books, and I kept getting rejected. So when I finally got one published, it was neat that it won an award uh, as the best first that year because that meant, like, maybe I had some business writing books. Was that one of your first books that you ended up, like, writing and submitting or did you submit other works prior uh, tilt a whirl i think was the fourth book that i wrote i had three books that over a period of three years i wrote and each one was rejected ah, so yeah. perseverance you gotta persevere especially if you want to be an author these days exactly yeah how long was the process of creating and publishing escape from mr lemoncello's library I think the entire process took close to three years. I worked on the book for two years, and I rewrote close to 50%, like half the book. I rewrote totally eight different times because it had the word library in the title. And my editor at Random House said, you know, every librarian in America is going to pick this book up because you got the word library in your title. And if they don't like it, they're going to go stinky, stinky, poo, poo, and throw it away. So we rewrote and rewrote. There used to be, I think in the first three drafts, there was a whole subplot that Mr. Lemoncello was doing all this to impress his old girlfriend, his old girlfriend from middle school, who was now married to the mayor, and the mayor knew, uh, my wife used to like that Lemoncello fellow. I must do everything I can to destroy his library. And finally, my editor said, you know, Chris, kids don't care about old people's old girlfriends. <laughs> so get rid of that. So I got rid of that old mayor and girlfriend subplot, and uh, that's when Charles Chiltington was created. Because, you know, you need 
conflict to tell a story. So my conflict originally was Mr. Lemoncello versus this mayor, but I think it became much better when Kyle Keeley was elevated even more to the protagonist, the main character, and his nemesis, his antagonist, was Charles Chiltington. And Mr. Lemoncello was just kind of the catalyst who gets everything going. The, Mr. Lemoncello's library has a very, like, um, almost like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory feel to it as well. Um, I mean, when I read it, and that's why I, I kind of was drawn to it and loved it, did you have, like, a little bit of inspiration from that as well? Uh, I don't, I try not to. I think, uh, you know, it's hard to do a thing about a, a eccentric bazillionaire and not, especially it takes place in a location and not think about Willy Wonka. I, when I was in school, we never got to read books in school. I'm so old, we had something called SRA, which were uh, file, like uh, essays, mm -hmm. red-coated, blue-coated, and you read one and you moved up to the next level. So I never read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory until after Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library came out. But I was familiar with the old Gene Wilder movie, right. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Right. Um, with one of your newer books, Shine, the message is believing in who you are. Do you think this would be an important message to middle schoolers? I think so, because, you know, it's like Mr. Van Dusen says in my new most favorite book. There it is. Shine! Exclamation <laughs> point. Wrote it with my wife. Took two years. We're still married. <laughs> Miracle. Uh, yeah, so I think it is an important message. In fact, JJ had the idea because she, when she was your guy's age, she wished she had read a book that said who you are is more important than what you accomplish. And here in New York City, we're surrounded by kids who are pushed to accomplish and strive and get their self-worth through what they do and the accolades they have, when in truth, who you are inside here is what's really important. You know, we're always talking about what do you want to be when you grow up, and I like the fact that Mr. Van Dusen says, who do you want to be right now? Yeah, it's a really good message that you guys promoted with that. It's like, yeah, who do you want to be at this moment in time? Don't worry 10 years from now. Who? What are you today? Like, who, exactly. what makes you up today? And who you are today, if you work at it, will probably be who you are tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you have a specific? Get closer. Do you have a specific author that truly inspired you to start writing, or was it just your own instinct? It's random. Well, I wanted to write since the fifth grade when I won that contest, and then in seventh grade, some of you guys are seventh graders. I used to get my homework assignments and I have kind of a wacky sense of humor. I read a lot of Mad Magazine when I was in the, uh, middle school and uh, I would write funny essays for my English teacher in seventh grade. You know, like, what did you do for Thanksgiving? And everyone would write the standard, well, we did this. I would write funny, ridiculous stories and she liked them a lot. And she wrote in the margins of one of my papers, you will make your living as a writer someday. And when a teacher, an adult who is in no way related to you, sees like a talent, it really means a lot. So teachers, uh, they might see things in you you don't see in yourself. So when that teacher told me that, I said, you know, I kind of always have had fun writing. 
So from that point on, I wanted to be a writer, and I went to a great high school, and I learned about Hemingway and Shakespeare and Mark Twain, and then I went to college, and I majored in journalism and advertising and communication, so I was writing all the time for the school newspaper. Then I moved to New York City, and I wrote for a comedy troupe and The Muppets, and I wrote a made-for-TV movie called The Christmas Gift. Then this guy named James Patterson was looking for copywriters because he was the creative director of J. Walter Thompson Advertising. So I wrote advertising with Mr. Patterson for like four years, but then I moved on to other agencies. I did close to 20 years writing commercials. And then I got tired of doing that, and I said, hmm, James Patterson had a pretty good career when he left advertising and started writing books. So he was my inspiration for thinking maybe I could try it. And then uh, Stephen King, who's always been one of my favorite adult authors, wrote a book called On Writing, A Memoir of the Craft, which really kind of spells out in easy-to-understand terms how you might go about writing a book. And the key is not trying to write it all at once. Just write 1,000 words a day, come back the next day, and move the story forward another 1,000 words. So once he kind of explained that, I guess that was the inspiration that I might be able to master the craft, and James Patterson was the inspiration for me to even try. I'll admit it. I love to read. My students do so as well, and they offer so many great suggestions. Thankfully, so does the Junior Library Guild. The Junior Library Guild is a great resource for librarians. By offering a service to help me build my collection through a personalized monthly subscription box, I am guaranteed to find a book for every reader in my library. Titles are selected by a renowned editorial team and have included many award-winning books and current bestsellers. With new books delivered every month at a price I can definitely afford, my readers and myself will have new material to keep us satisfied all year long. For more information, visit www.juniorlibraryguild.com. If you had the chance to say something or change something in your younger life, what would it be? I wish I had never picked up my first cigarette when I was in the seventh grade. Because <laughs> I was hooked by the time I was in high school. And my late wife passed away from cancer. In fact, I wrote a, a short story where a young person is confronted by this creepy kind of ghost, which is you after you die. And it was all based on that, where this creepy ghost, who is the, the person in the story, it's like a high schooler in the story, encounters this demon of the dunes. And the demon is all they're trying to do is tell you not to smoke. Awesome. Anyone else have? Come on, Raj. Did you have any? Passions? What's that? Did you have any passions before taking up writing? Uh, my wife. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have passions. I guess always kind of writing, making people laugh. I always like doing comedy. Uh, I wanted to write screenplays, and they did make a movie of Escape from Mr. Limoncello's Library, and they might make some movies of some other things that we're doing. And I guess I've also always had a passion for kind of social justice and politics, too, probably because I studied journalism in college. And when you study journalism, you're kind of always in the midst of the, like the news cycle and stuff. 
Excellent. Oh, come on, Ava. Alright, so this is going to be a bit random, but I'm very All into, right, like I'm very into astrology, and, <laughs> and we've done this a couple of times, and I wanted to ask you what was your zodiac sign? Ah, well, you actually, I'm, I kind of dig astrology. I've had my actual chart done twice, where they take where you were born, like the longitude and latitude, and the exact moment of your birth, because then they can tell exactly what the stars were doing over your head when you were born. And I've had, like, astrologers, and actually, my sign is Virgo, which one of... The great things that Virgos are known for is writing because they're very organized and they love structure. And when you're a writer, you got to stay organized. You got to keep yourself motivated because no one's telling me to come into this room every day and write. And you have to be able to juggle like all this stuff, all this like this character did this and this character did that. So being a Virgo is very helpful for being an author. In fact, when kids have, when my friends have babies born in September, I go, ooh, might be an author. I like that. I never thought of it that way before. <laughs> so was there a book that you read when you were younger that you still love to this day? Uh, you know, like I said, when I was, I mean, I love like uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and I still look at that every year. So I love all the Dr. Seuss books, but I really missed out from like fifth grade to seventh grade we weren't reading a lot of books so now i'm uh i'm sort of catching up so i love charlotte's web now but i've never read it i like the files of basil frankweil i'm gonna say her name wrong mm -hmm. that i missed when i was a kid so i like that one a lot too so i'm playing catch up i'm reading now the one about the assistant pig keeper which was the first, uh, I think it's called The Black Cauldron, is the first in a series of what is often considered, even though the books are 50, 60 years old, the best fantasy series ever written for kids. All right. How did you come up with, how did you come up with the name Limoncello? Ah, uh, well, I came up with Mr. Lemoncello for a couple reasons. One, I knew it was an adult beverage that many teachers and librarians enjoy drinking on the weekend. Two, it had alliteration going on. So you guys have probably studied alliteration by now. So it has all those L's going on, right? So it's got Lemoncello's Library, which is la, 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 la. It's just much more musical than Mr. Poindexter's Library would have been. But the main reason I did it, when I wrote the book, a lot of people said, why do we need libraries, particularly public libraries? Why do we need libraries? We all have these phones. We can look up anything we want. We can read on the phones. Why do we need libraries? So I actually made a list of the reasons we still need libraries. And at the top of my list, I wrote, libraries are a great place for immigrants newly arrived in this country to keep in touch with their old country through foreign language newspapers and learn about this country through like history books and current newspapers and stuff. And this meant a lot to me because my grandmother, uh, my Greek grandmother, she, her village was burned to the ground by the Turks and when she was 18 years old, so not too much older than you guys. And she was 18, she was rounded up with all the people in her village and she became what's known as a refugee. And they put her on a boat, and they were going to sail her off to safety. But the boat she was on had a cholera epidemic break out. So the British sailors said, we're taking all of you people back to Greece. You cannot go to freedom. And my grandmother said, I'm not going back. 
And so in the middle of the night, when the clouds blocked out the moon, she climbed down the anchor rope of that ship, dropped into the Mediterranean Sea, swam to the nearest shore she could find, found some other immigrants, made her way across Europe, finally got on another ship, made her way through uh, Ellis Island, past the Statue of Liberty, came to New York. She had an arranged marriage with another Greek gentleman who was a steel worker out in Canton, Ohio. And my mother was the first of her family born in America. And she told me when she was a little kid, she wanted to read every single book in the Canton, Ohio Public Library because it would make her more of an American. So that's a really long way of telling you that my Greek grandparents' name was Lemonopolis. And so I named Mr. Lemoncello as a tribute to them, especially my Greek grandmother, because if she had not climbed down that anchor rope when she was 18, I would not be sitting in New York City today making up silly stories. That's a story all into itself. Oh, my it goodness. People say I should write that. But yes. Maybe I will someday. I think so. That's a tribute to her. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we have time for uh, two more questions because I know we have to get That's you okay. going. And then also I got to get these guys back to their classes and stuff. I, so. have, a, I have a picture of my Greek grandmother. Oh. And me. I was going to say, is that you? That's me. Oh. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm probably like two years old, I guess. Yeah. All right, wait, whatever. Let's go for your question. All right, come on, Aslan. You know how you mentioned how you were going to have a side plot where it had to involve a mayor and Mr. Lemonseo's old girlfriend slash lover from middle school? That sort of sounds like the plot from The Grinch and how he, how the, he likes the mayor's, like, fiancé, sort of. Is it somewhat like that? I know. Is that in the movie? I haven't seen the movie. I think I, it is, though. Yeah, it's in the movie. Yeah, they probably added that to the movie to give a little backstory. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a kind of a common trope, a trope being uh, something we use in literature, like, oh, I understand now why that guy's so grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and old girlfriends will make guys grouchy. Yeah. Um, do you have any pets? Yes, we do. I used to have a great dog named Fred, uh, but now we have two cats, neither one of whom likes to do uh, Skypes. I used to have a cat that loved doing Skypes and would come sit in my lap and I could show everybody. But we have, I think I have a picture of them. Here, this is Phoebe Squeak, has been with us the longest. That's Phoebe Squeak. And then right before I had some surgery recently, we got another cat to be my nurse's assistant here. And we named that cat Luigi after Mr. Lemoncello. And little <laughs> Luigi's the one who jumps into my lap. And I've had to relearn how to type with a cat in my lap. It's kind of difficult. We have some of the kids going like, I have two cats. I need to do that too. And then we have yeah. others that are just like, their faces are glowing. They're like, I love cats. Yeah, they want to sit in your lap when they want to sit in your lap, and then you got to kind of put your hands over. Yeah, you got to you got to make it work, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, we have one more question. All right. All right, come on, Andrew. Um, most a majority of your stories involve mystery and humor. Do you have like pros and cons, or a reason why you like those the most? Yeah, actually, some of the books I read about writing or 
or somebody, some teacher I had once told me that you should write the kind of stories you like to read because you're already an expert. So if you like like fantasies or stories with unicorns and narwhals and trolls, or maybe you like uh, action adventure. So you read a lot of those, so you start going, this, I like this one better than that one, even though they're in the same style. And so you start knowing those, and it's best for you to write what you like to read. So that's what I've always liked to read, are mysteries, because I was what they called a reluctant reader. I still am. I think I'm what they really should call a super critical reader. I just want to get stories, read stories that get like a movie started in my head, or the ones that really involved me, and I found that mysteries did that better than anything because I get to play along. Like when you're reading Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's library, you could conceivably figure out how to get out of that library before the kids in the story do. So it's like you've got this, or there's puzzles that maybe you can solve before the kids in the story do. So it's almost like a little like doing a crossword puzzle where you're interactive with the story. So mysteries are my favorite, and I've always loved humor because I love to laugh. <laughs> well, Chris, I just want to say that um, from the books I've read that you have written, especially Mr. Lemoncello's, because as a librarian that, yes, I saw the word library and I, <laughs> I had to grab it. Um, yes. I find myself going back to them several times and recommending them because they are just so fun and entertaining and really they capture um, a love of reading and I, that's something that I always like to promote to the kids. Oh, so, so I appreciate you for writing what you do and for Shine, you and your wife collaborated on a beautiful story. Oh, that's great. And there's a new Lemoncello coming out this year. Oh, see, you, now you got them all going ooing and aahing and this is just perfect. <laughs> yes, but the first one, we're, we're going to leave the library and we're going to go to the town because I said, well, we've done four books with the same cast of characters, so some of them will be around to sort of introduce the new characters. Uh, but we're going to go to the town where Mr. Lemoncello has the coolest factory in the world where he makes all his games. I love it. Can't wait. There's um, a ball pit mode around it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again so much. Um, we hope that you have a wonderful day. And um, please keep writing, keep collaborating with your wife. Um, we love what you are coming up with in that crazy mind of yours. Oh, thank you. And thank you guys for doing this podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. A very special thanks to Chris Grabenstein for joining us and letting us pick his brain about writing for kids. To learn more about Chris, the, Le the Mr. Lemoncello series, and his other books, visit www.chrisgrabenstein.com or follow him on Twitter at cgrabenstein or Instagram at cgrabber1955. Today's episode was produced by Miss S in the school's li library. Thank you to all of our wonderful hosts today. You can follow Amongst the Books on Twitter at Amongst the Books underscore podcast and on Instagram at Amongst the Books podcast. Our theme mu music was written, performed, and recorded by Jake Thistle. You could 
follow Jake at www.jakethistle.com or on Instagram at Jake underscore Thistle underscore music. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and rate us and be sure to share us with all your friends. My name is Anthony. Thanks for listening. You will be hearing us hearing from us soon.